Welcome to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we speak to leaders in academic medicine about a variety of leadership topics. During the COVID-19 public health emergency, many residency programs and medical schools are reinventing how they operate. Much has been accomplished quickly and with great ingenuity, and we'll be sharing some of those stories of adaptability and learner engagement on this podcast. For the time being, this podcast will be hosted by me, Brian Hischer, Manager of Online Education at STFM. When things return to something more normal, our regular host, Dr. Saria Carter-Sicosio, will be back with us to take up her hosting duties. I recently spoke with Dr. Tim Graham about how resident education has changed in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Graham is Program Director at Mount Carmel Family Medicine Residency in Ohio. Dr. Graham, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for inviting me. So could you tell us a little bit about um, your residency program? So, yeah. So I'm at uh, Mount Carmel uh, Family Medicine Residency Program in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we are a community-based program and part of a larger health uh, healthcare system, which is Trinity Health. Uh, we have six uh, residents per year, and we're located in a suburb of uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, which is Westerville, Ohio. Okay, excellent. And uh, And what do you do there? Uh, so I serve as program director uh, within our residency program and also within St. Anne's at the institutional level. I, I serve as the department chair for the Department of Family Medicine. Okay, gotcha. So you have six residents. How has life, uh, how has life changed for them during this? Has their education changed drastically? Yeah, it really, it really has. I think uh, all of our uh, modes of process have just changed dramatically. I mean, this has ended up being an unprecedented time, I think, for all of us in medical education. From the graduate medical education perspective, I think we face uh, a number of different challenges than the rest of the healthcare field faces, in part because we have such a presence both in the ambulatory and inpatient settings still, which is somewhat less common in the uh, in the community around where, where we are. Uh, and then we also have the added component of the education piece, uh, where we still are responsible for uh, providing the educational um, needs or meeting the educational needs of our residents to make sure that they are getting all of the training that they need before they graduate. So there have been lots of changes really pretty much on every in every arena simultaneously, which is typically not how we do things. We usually like to pilot change and do it slow over time. And that has really not been possible over these last couple of weeks where we're looking at making uh, dramatic uh, and rapid change in a matter of days rather than a matter of months like we would normally like we would normally approach it. So, uh, you know, for some for some examples, our ambulatory our ambulatory changes were probably our first change that we kind of was underway for us. Obviously, with uh, the public health needs and some of the other uh, things that are happening within our community, from stay-at-home orders, uh, social isolation, et cetera, one of our primary concerns was trying to keep our patients and our staff uh, and our providers all safe and uh, minimizing any um, unnecessary kind of face-to-face contact when at all possible. Uh, what that actually mandated us really doing was going to alternative forms of care, such as uh, telemedicine, uh, which was something that we really hadn't done prior to this crisis. 
we uh, within uh, within a period of a week, we uh, started doing telephonic encounters and coming up with a process and a triage capability to make sure that we were uh, appropriately selecting patients that still needed to be seen in person and managing those patients uh, with acute needs that could be handled over the phone without a formal visit in, in a way that would still provide them everything that they needed. Our end goal with that was to uh, move to actual telehealth within, uh, you know, within the course of another week. So uh, working within the system, we started uh, utilizing some audiovisual capabilities and going through a new software system that we had not used previously in order to provide that audiovisual uh, experience for our patients as well, training our residents and our faculty and how to use it and kind of integrating that into our process in a way that tried to make it as seamless as possible. And then within short order, trying to get past the acute visits and actually start integrating some of our chronic care visits back in because we don't want to let those kind of fall to the wayside. Although the, the, the for that first week, we kind of had to trying to get some of our, you know, our chronic follow-ups or our hypertensive follow-ups is still the care that they needed. We actually started with a with altering our protocol in a way that we would still be able to get them in for the audiovisual visits as well. So a lot of a lot of change in a very short period of time, particularly in that in that arena, and doing trying to do that in a way that we are extending that training out to, you know, all of our faculty, all 18 of our residents all of our nurses, all of our front staff, uh, our tech support folks. Uh, it was it was a major undertaking, but uh, I must say I was I was incredibly pleased with how much people rallied behind it. Um, I think in part because they understood the magnitude of what we as a, a healthcare community are facing, the anxieties and the needs of our patients, and uh, looking at a way that we could do this as seamlessly as possible. Um, it went better than I could have possibly imagined it going. Still not the ideal circumstances for it to happen, but but it actually went went, went very smoothly. That is wonderful to hear. Yeah. And and you know, and and, and looking at that as really encompassing just just one arena that we work in. Uh, obviously we have the other the other part of our uh, our patient care, which was uh, the inpatient uh, arena. Um, and with that, that it was actually provided some different challenges because within our system, uh, the footprint of our residents at our hospital, we actually function as a, a primarily an unopposed program. Um, so our residents are the only residents that are really in the hospital from the inpatient setting. But trying to integrate ourselves into what was happening on the greater system level with the primary hospitalist group and making sure that one, we were aligned with what they were doing. Um, and number two, the second goal was not to get in their way, uh, which was that was which was uh, can't be understated uh, or overstated. So that required additional meetings actually with hospital leadership, uh, with the leaders of the uh, primary hospitalist group and looking at how we could actually offer our help to make their job easier as they are uh, kind of adjusting their own protocols, be able to look at ways to decrease the impossibility of transmission, uh, potentially COVID positive patients or patients under investigation uh, with other patients in the hospital that were not in for those same same things. And in ultimately the hospital group was fabulous to work with. Uh, really, everybody uh, rallied together. We were able to look at what our role within the greater hospital system was going to be in a supportive fashion with the realization that we weren't going to be the primary group that was running 
the general general structure of how inpatient medicine was going to function at our at our hospital. We're we're a, a smaller community based hospital. We've got about 265 beds where we're at, and like I said, the majority of those are managed by our our hospitalist group. We also have uh, been participating in system wide meetings and then uh, institution specific meetings on a regular basis. I, on some days, I have four to five different meetings that I'm going to uh, within our system outside of graduate medical education, just looking at hospital support and making sure that I am keeping our uh, residents and faculty and staff abreast of what's happening at the hospital level to make sure that we are still staying in step with what uh, what the hospital is doing and what the hospital needs us to do. Um, so that's been, uh, that's actually also worked really pretty well. I think the level of communication and the level of transparency that has been uh, present from hospital administration and actually from the leadership within our program to our residents and staff has been uh, really kind of the uh, the primary reason for success with that is everybody is talking to each other. Um, and I think, you know, when you were making so many abrupt changes and things are, as, as we know nationally, things are changing every day, oftentimes multiple times per day. If, if when that communication breaks down, that's where we run into, where, where we run into problems. I mean, communication in the best of times is a delicate enough situation. You know, it's, Communicating outside of a national emergency requires diplomacy, patience, and so on. So the fact that you guys have been able to really band together and communicate with each other in a clear way is um, really remarkable. So what role does simplicity play in finding solutions in the midst of these new situations? Simplicity plays plays a pretty large role, honestly. You know, particularly where I think I saw that uh, kind of underscored was in our integration into what was happening in the inpatient setting. Because you know, the initial response I think from everybody when we were sitting down as a team is like, okay, what do we need to do? Okay, we need to create you know multiple teams. We need to do this. We need to have, you know, this structure, et cetera. And then just taking a breath and stepping back and saying, okay, well, let's actually talk to everybody else who's involved and let's see what the most straightforward way to actually approach this is that is going to be the most seamlessly in- integrated into the system. And it was, it ended up being a much simpler response, honestly, than, uh, than creating our own small infrastructure here about how we were going to independently face the inpatient, the the inpatient needs uh, of our patients, but instead seeing how uh, through cooperation, we could actually make that a simpler process. And so I, I think that simplicity, you, you can sometimes make things overly complicated. And sometimes it, it really kind of gets back to that whole communication. And by having the right conversations with the right people, you end up not really reinventing the wheel and really making sure that you are on the same page with best practices and being able to lend your voice to those conversations um, and, and contribute in that way. Oh, that's fantastic. So in situations where you have to try out a new solution that hasn't gone through the typical testing or hasn't gone through the normal channels, how do you address the nagging doubts or fears before pulling the trigger on on initiating a new change? You know, I, th- I think that things have been happening so quickly 
that you know some of it has been just out of necessity that these these changes had to go into place uh, into place quickly you know testing procedures protocols because patients are still calling in we're getting calls for patients who uh, you know are have concerns over their possibility you know the possibility of them having exposure or them uh, having uh, symptoms consistent with covid you know we had to get those in place right away because we knew that those calls were gonna were gonna be roll, rolling in and we wanted to be prepared to do that you know i think that how we try to allay fears around the abruptness of the change, again, kind of comes back to just making sure everybody's on the same page, particularly early on in our uh, in our process changes. I, I ended up basically spamming everybody with emails and texts and phone calls like pretty much cons- consistently just to make sure that everybody actually, everybody was in, in, it was in the loop about what was actually happening and had opportunities to ask why. Because I really, you know, everybody from our residents to our staff to our faculty, everybody had a, had a voice and had an opinion in how to, uh, how to approach this. And, uh, you know, we got feedback immediately when we started doing some of the telephonic telemedicine from our residents who were kind of frontline on some of that to be able to see what was working, what wasn't working, kind of get feedback on our our algorithm that we had sketched out on the board uh, and distributed to everybody, you know, over the course of a, a, an hour that this was how this, this structure was going to go. And, and, you know, so we were doing lots of micro tests, I think, throughout the process uh, and making adjustments when we where we saw it was necessary. Did you have to set up a specific channel for feedback from residents to, you know, with regards to these systems? Uh, not, not particularly, honestly, we have a, we have a very open door policy kind of here within our program. The residents who are doing like our primary triage, actually, we still have in the office right now. So, uh, they, we, we have set up a way to keep social distancing within the office, but at the same time, have everybody relatively close to each other, you know, within, within a walking distance within our, within our, um, system, we're actually on universal masking here within the hospital. So we're doing what we can keep, uh, you know, exposure to each other. Uh, down, but we have our residents popping back and giving feedback right away so we can make adjustments to the process. Our nurses and our nurse management is still here. Our front desk management is still here. Although we have thinned out our numbers in the office and we're starting to have people work remotely, we still have at least a, a, a core group here right within right within our center that can give us that, that more immediate feedback. Okay, that's excellent. So has your definition of education gone through any changes during this? Have you found a sort of realignment of your priorities or what have you found with regards to just these basic educational principles? Well, you know, actually, my, my definition of education hasn't really probably changed a lot. My mode of delivery has changed a lot, though, unfortunately, with us not trying to uh, gather multiple people in the same room, et cetera. We all uh, we went from kind of our standard uh, half day didactic sessions uh, on Wednesday mornings to virtual didactic sessions on Wednesday mornings, uh, trying to do it in a way that wasn't just a kind of a, a uh, distance version of exactly what we were doing in the center, because honestly, the, the distance learning does provide you some additional opportunities to engage your learners in different ways. I am 
blessed to have a fantastic curriculum director here within our center, uh, and uh, she has done an ama- a really an amazing job of reinventing what those Wednesday mornings look like very quickly and doing it in a way that has really led to incredible engagement. I think we're going to honestly, once this is all over, I think we're going to have a hard time talking people into going back into the classroom again because this has worked out well. You know, they have gotten a good education sitting at home in, in, in their uh, PJs or sweats and being able to call in and have discussions. And, you know, it's nice. We've been using Zoom to do that. And you can tell how many people are there. And we have like, you know, we were had like 18 to 23 people on every single one of those sessions. People are asking questions and people are being engaged. One of the things that I've liked that she has done with that is actually having the morning kind of broken up where we have some right from the get go at eight o'clock in the morning to kind of provide some semblance of normalcy to, uh, to Wednesdays and trying to keep them still feeling like the educational half days that everybody kind of calls in at eight o'clock. We have started a town hall at eight o'clock led by uh, our medical director here, who is also fantastic. And he does a COVID update and talks about the process changes and goes through everything that's going to be, that kind of gives some feedback on the things that we have changed, give us some uh, kind of foreshadowing of things that are coming down the pike. And it opens it up for questions from that point. And then we follow it quickly with usually something that is COVID related in educational content, whether it's about efficacy of medications or whether it's about critical care management or whether it's about screening and testing, we have something attached to that. Then we give them a chance to break and they get to go, they have reading assignments and they get to go off and do those for about another hour. And then they have to join back up again on uh, Zoom for another session, which is not COVID related. So we're, we're trying to pull them back into the, to the, to the norm as well. So they, they have, you know, another hour, hour and a half of some uh, interaction with one of our faculty members or a special a specialist that we brought in who actually can do some online teaching with them as well. So far, that has been really uh, has been really well received. There have been modifications to some of the things that we do in some of those sessions. Uh, you know, some of the things that have been a little bit more complicated is our, our set simulation days because that really can't be done very easily from a distance. Our culinary medicine uh, curriculum, which we usually five times a year will have time that we actually cook together and and based on a uh, a specific disease process, uh, you know, like hypertensive cooking or diabetic cooking, et cetera. That's a little challenging from a distance, not impossible. We, we modified it so we can still do some instruction online. But really, I think we have just had to get a little bit creative with how that content is delivered, but doing it in a way that isn't just a replacement, but actually maybe is a just a novel way to look at reaching, reaching our, our residents. And I, I honestly believe when all is said and done at the, at, after all of this is over, that we really probably will incorporate some of these principles into into our didactics going forward or into our educational uh, sessions going forward. Yeah, it sounds like you have a remarkable fluidity in place where you've been able to essentially figure things out on the fly, get your feedback with regards to how effective certain things are, and then just keep improving as you go. It sounds like you have a really good iterative process in place. It has gone really well. And I, and again, I feel, I feel very blessed with the team that I have here. Everybody has been engaged. 
you know, we have a we have a pretty uh, diverse group of faculty that are down these these hallways. And each of them has their area that they champion, and they've been focusing their efforts on seeing how they could reinvent some of this. Our, our sports med director reinventing the sports med rotation in a way that would provide musculoskeletal education from a distance, and it, it was it was it was an amazing process. And it, it, when I was reading through it, I was like, this is this is absolutely spectacular. And uh, and you know, I think everybody without tons of direction, honestly, uh, kind of knew where the, where their role was and where their uh, how they could help best and seem to naturally gravitate towards that. That is fantastic. Well, Dr. Graham, we have come to uh, just about the end of our time. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to talk with us today. It's great to, great to hear your voice and to hear that things are going well. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. It's uh, I, I am uh, really proud looking kind of uh, more broadly, uh, you know, from looking on listserv and kind of looking at what's happening in the programs. You know, I feel like graduate medical education broadly has done an amazing job of stepping up to the plate and making sure that we're keeping our residents safe and at the same time not compromising their education. Um, so I've never been more proud to actually be part of the family medicine family than than now. Thank you for listening to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons. You can access all of our episodes at stfm.org podcasts or subscribe through any of the major podcast providers, such as iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 